Welcome to All the Things with Monique Dusan from the Center for Biblical Unity and theology mom, Krista Bontrager. And now, here's Krista and Monique. Hello, good evening, everyone, and welcome to All the Things. I am Monique Dusan. I was looking at you like you were going to say it, but she's not because I'm Monique Dusan. And I am Krista Bontrager, also known as Theology Mom. And welcome. Welcome. This is the show where we talk about all things related to God, the Bible, and real life. And helping us out on the show tonight is Bob Bontrager. I don't know. Does he have a camera? Yes, he does. Oh, look at the empty chair behind him. I know. Emily's gone. Womp, womp. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. School started. School has started. Joining us on the live chat tonight, uh, our guest moderators are Caleb Harrelson from Engage Truth. Yes, yes. What's up, Caleb? And the lovely and gracious Emily Bontrager at her new undisclosed location. Yes, yes. We miss her. We, we miss do. her tons. All right. So let's jump right in. What? Uh, wait, no, we can't jump in yet. We got other house cleaning we have to do. Oh, all right. So this is your opportunity for audience participation. Uh, hit that thumbs up, hit the like button, help our analytics, um, follow the page, share the show. Be sure to click on that share button because, uh, because we're broadcasting tonight, uh, for the first time on the, all the things YouTube channel, we're trying to migrate people over to the right space. Yes, we're going to so, go from this one to, to this one. one. Yes. All the things on YouTube. All the things. Yes. All so the all, all the, the things, things show. show. That's yes. what it is. So um, maybe share the show. Uh, invite your friends. Help them get engaged in our new location. I've got posts everywhere. So hopefully people are finding those posts um, and finding the shows. But uh, all of those steps... Even the simple thing like the thumbs up, making a comment, all of those things really help our analytics. So share the show. And this show is brought to you by the Center for Biblical Unity. Whoop, whoop. Your shirt is right there. Yes. Yes. Uh, The Theology Mom podcast and Family 210 Clothing. And we uh, want to encourage you uh, and thank you for your support. Yes. Center for Biblical Unity. Here's some friends who sent in their pictures. Yes, it's so awesome. One race, one people, one savior. That is the the shirt. And that's also our mission statement. Yes. Yes. So we are just going to keep keep promoting. And um, going, against, going against the cultural going against, nar- narrative. Going, we're going to go against it. Everyone's losing their minds. We're going to stand for biblical unity. We're going to love each other. We're going to have a more peaceful approach. And we're going to speak truth. That's right. Yes. So $5 from every shirt goes to support the Center for Biblical Unity. So yes, yes, yes. So get your merch. Get it. Oh, yeah. Centerforbiblicalunity.com slash merch. Yes. We got mugs, shirts, hoodies. Baby onesies. It's a little hot for a hoodie right now. My favorite one is the baby onesie. You mention it every week. Your baby should be wearing a Center for Biblical Unity. We need somebody to order that and then send us a picture. Yeah, because I, I I can see that in my life. I'm like, oh, you know, that's really cute. Face mask too. Yeah, the yeah. face mask. Although somebody said it was a little tight. So I don't, I don't know. know. Maybe if you have small ears. I don't know. I don't know. But yeah. 
All right. All right. So it's another big, big week in your life. It was. It was a big week in my (laughs) life. My gosh. I didn't know what to do with my life this week. All right. So what was the big milestone in your life this week? Big milestone in my life this week was I started seminary. Yes. Yes. I did. I did. I had two. I'm only taking two classes. um, But it's a lot. Yeah. I think I think I have like six units and the full load is nine. Yeah. So I'm. Two thirds. Yeah, two thirds of the way. Um, yeah. So started seminary. I am taking hermeneutics and spiritual formation. Yeah. The- and theology. theology. Yeah, yeah. Spiritual formation and theology. And so, you know, what is the, one of the most important things that I think I'm learning this week? Well, I can I can hardly wait. You know, to find out what this is. Here it is. It is one understanding presuppositions. There's a couple understanding presuppositions that everyone has their own presupposition. Like, how are you coming to this text? Are you, what what are you bringing with it? You, so when you interpret all, scripture, it can impact it if you're not aware. Yes, yeah. if you aren't aware of yourself and all the stuff that you carry when you read the Bible, you'll be like, oh, they're talking right to me and. This must mean that, you know, fish should fly. <laughs> well, no, no, you you brought something with you to that. Like yeah. what, we have to find out what the author really means, not yeah. just, you know, what do I take from it? What did the author mean? Yeah. So that was good. And then worldviews really matter. <laughs> you, it seems to me I've, I've said that before. <laughs> worldviews really do matter. And. You know, a a demonstration of this this week was that I had two people call me and both of them stated their race and they were their their ethnicity and they were actually the same ethnicity. One was so encouraging and was like, oh, my gosh, you know, I'm so glad that I found you and I'm so glad that, you know, you're saying this and this and this and that's truth. The other one, same ethnicity, was like... You didn't lost your mind. Even had a swear word. And I said, oh, we swear in the day. Huh? What? <laughs> they weren't happy with you. Yes, we're not. But I was like, you know, and both like admittedly said that they grew up in the church um, that, you know, like there were there were so many things that I feel like, wow, these people kind of have parallel stories going on. But but one of them was like, views. I'm going to be absolutely guided by scripture. And the other one was more like he had he had some other terms that he was being guided by. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure we could say those in public. You know, you know, I. This is why I ask that people daily pray for me because I have to humility. This is another one. Humility is important. Yes. I can't just be calling people back and being like, "Oh, you wanted to have a conversation with swear words." <laughs> you can take the girl out of the hood, but it's really hard to take the hood out of the girl. There's that. She's so, in seminary, yes. people. I'm in seminary. Praise <laughs> the Lord. I pray that he does a work with my heart. Right. But there's that. There so, that. yes, these are some things that I am learning. And I am so excited to. I'm excited and extremely um, oh, like in uh, awe. Uh, Caleb's asking what your major is in seminary. Theology. Yeah. So I'm getting a master's in theology. Which an emphasis with the, on with the, the Greek, Greek, Greek track, Greek track um, yeah. which is different than classical theology at Talbot. And my my goal in going is really to look at the historic Christian church, to look at the church fathers, um, to understand how were justice issues handled then, how were things like partiality and favoritism handled, because I want to be able to bring that back to the Center for Biblical Unity. And when we stand for 
um, true biblical unity? How do we do that? What can I extrapolate from from the New Testament, especially? But what can I, yeah, extrapolate from like the early church and say, hey, this is really a foundation and a way forward right. in our context today. Trying to get kind of out of the American thing and mm-hmm. do a more global perspective, yes. which is like the perfect segue to our guest tonight. Yes. Really, because... Uh, we've been doing a lot of shows about race issues. In fact, uh, my kids have been teasing us that this is really should be called That Race Show. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there it is. We, we just keep going back there. We don't intentionally no, do we it. No, don't, we don't mean to do it, but I feel like every week something happens. I and I'm like, oh. <laughs> we got yeah. a comment. We need so to talk about this. We've been doing a lot of shows unpacking what I call like the 45 sides of the Rubik's Cube related to race. Mm-hmm. But there's this whole other part of the conversation that we also really have a heart to talk about, which is justice, justice yes. and its relationship to the gospel. And kind of the the two errors that I see, you know, the two ends of the spectrum is, well, we're just going to only focus on the gospel. We're going to get people saved. But it's also almost like this weird kind of Gnostic belief of we're not going to pay attention to the person's physical, genuine physical needs and Mm -hmm. and horrible situation that they find themselves in and people constantly accuse us that that's that's our position yes that (laughs) is all the time that is what the call was earlier yeah you don't care yeah you're just heartless and then the other side of the spectrum is well we're going to decouple justice from the gospel and it becomes kind of this salvation by external systems Mm -hmm. fixing people's lives their in their physical um circumstances, but not really paying attention to the spiritual condition of their heart. Yes. And so our vision Go ahead. is kind of the way forward is to lay down the proper theology that, hey, we need to have we need to have an eye toward both here of of the gospel and justice. And what I was hoping you were gonna hit on, um, and so I'll just ask is Talk, can you talk just a little bit about the idea that social justice then becomes the gospel? So yeah. what we're we're not saying that social justice and the gospel are enmeshed, like they need to be the same thing. Yeah. We say decouple them because they both do very different, different. but very powerful things. Yeah. And they to me, they do them both best when they are separated. Yeah. Because um, then but, we know what does what. Yes. Yeah. So... Like the gospel is what transforms hearts, it transforms lives, it transforms perspectives, desires. You know, that is what is needed. At, you know, if you're really going to change uh, a culture, a, a, a situation, people's hearts have to change. Um, merely addressing the physical issues is not going to be enough. People's hearts have to change. And so that we have to understand what the power of the gospel is on the other side of it is what the Bible calls law or, or righteousness or justice Mm -hmm. that how do we love our neighbor? Love is not this vague idea. It, it is so spelled out in scripture. Yes. This is what love looks like. This is what love does. Love tells the truth. Love, um, helps their neighbor. You know, it, it's very, very specific what our standard of justice is. And this is so important because like the call that I received, and I keep going back to, I might have some issues about that call. Pray for me. Um, 
what what the person said on that call was that justice is justice is justice. And that's actually not true. He, he was like, when Buddhist justice is the same as Muslim justice. It's the same as Christian. Christian and, and, and we were like, that's, no, uh, no, 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 <laughs> no, actually, because in reality, what culture is putting forward is that all of these things are justice issues. And in reality, it's not. They put forth culture currently is putting forth a different definition of oppression. You know, so if you are are struggling with gender issues or if, you know, you're not, you know, if you if you affirm being, you know, homosexual or LGBTQ or something like that, and then you can't participate in leadership within a church, some people would say you're oppressed. You are, an, you are an oppressed people. But when we look biblically, oppression has to do with things like murder and theft and like being treated unfairly in legal systems. Right. It doesn't have to do with the other this other part that culture is saying this is oppression. Right. So you should speak out on it because it's a justice issue. We have to make sure that we're clearly defining what what is and isn't justice. Now, if someone's being persecuted because of their religious beliefs, if they're being persecuted, like killed, yeah. you know, because of these things, then I could say, yes, that's an issue because we don't murder. Right. And it's all rooted and grounded in what is it? it these are the two great ideas I keep trying to hammer home is what does it mean to be created in the image of God? That's a creation issue mm-hmm. that all humans have inherent value, dignity and worth. And that's going to be a big part of the conversation we have tonight. Um, and the other side is, do I know Christ as my savior? Am I in the family of God? What is my new identity mm-hmm. in Christ? So both of those are important. They are. That, that we can recognize someone's humanity and that they've been created in the image of God and that they deserve a certain level of dignity simply because they're human and they are the crown of God's creation. That is a highly culturally disruptive idea. I don't think we have an appreciation for that because it's so assumed in our culture, we're, we we just automatically think like this human rights. Yeah, that's that's a thing. Everyone knows that. But if you go to some other cultures, that's not at the foundation of their culture. Yes. And so they're going to relate to that differently. So we want to build up people's humanity, that, that they're created in God's image. We want to make that a firm foundation as part of their identity. But we also want to bring them the gospel of who they can be in Christ mm. and that they can get a new a new identity and they can be transformed and have their hearts transformed, their lives transformed, their desires transformed. So we have to have some some thoughts about justice and the gospel, doctrine of creation, doctrine of salvation. All of these things come to bear mm-hmm. when we're going to talk about these these issues. Yeah. So Ooh. come on, you you about to preach already. <laughs> we ain't we ain't even got in yet. We yeah. need to, we need to come on in. Yeah. So we're gonna <laughs> I Not yet. This is an important uh-huh. thing because this is a what we're going to talk about tonight is a wonderful ministry, mm-hmm. Agape International Missions. Yes, and we have a representative from Agape. Matt Robertson is joining us, and we're going to bring him in and get him in the conversation to kind of help lead us through a discussion about what Agape is doing in yes. Cambodia and. I think it's going to make all of this theology make sense. So welcome to the show, Matt. Hello, hello. Hello. Thank you so much for the opportunity to come on and share about our work. And 
I've been taking notes, you guys. This is great stuff. Um, I'm I'm gonna steal some of it for upcoming talks. Oh, that's go ahead, go yeah. ahead. That's just no. scripture. Yes, this is, this you know it's not an original stuff. thought. I don't. I can't copyright it. You know, that's just Jesus. Jesus might take some issue with that. Yeah. <laughs> like, excuse yeah. me, ma'am. No. Okay, Matt. Let's jump right in. Tell us about Agape International Ministries. Who are you? What are you guys doing? Where are you? Tell us all the things. Yeah, thank you again for the opportunity to come on this show. So AIM has been working in Cambodia for 15 years now, addressing this issue of, of justice, in particular in the area of human and sex trafficking. Um, our leaders uh, were called to Cambodia, uh, Don and Bridget Brewster. He was a pastor at Adventure Christian Church here in the Sacramento area, executive pastor. And he was doing uh, pastoral training and teaching out in the rural areas of Cambodia, uh, helping to minister to that country that was still uh, still rebuilding itself after the Khmer Rouge. That's a whole other story. But um, And they came across this issue of children being sold for sex. And they went back to, uh, the, back to came back to this area, to the Sacramento area, uh, shared what was going on, uh, tried to get a bunch of people to join them, uh, but they realized that God was calling them. And so um, they started this work 15 years ago. They sold everything, left their older children behind. Don gave up his position to start a ministry, first uh, providing restoration for girls that were getting rescued, that were getting out of sex trafficking. Started with a small restoration home. Um, they thought, you know, we'll be there five years, 25 girls, and then we'll be done. Uh, what they soon realized is that there was such a need um, and that restoration home filled up in a matter of months. And they soon realized that God had them there for more than just that restoration. And so what's emerged over time is uh, God's picture of a holistic ministry. It starts with rescue. We have a SWAT team that uh, works together with the uh, trafficking police, anti-trafficking police. We kick down doors. We go into brothels and massage parlors, uh, karaoke lounges, wherever girls are being held. And we rescue them. We take them out. And we take them to restoration homes where they provide, they're provided with clothes, food, counseling, support. And they experience God's unconditional love through our staff, through the house moms that are there, um, sometimes they're experiencing unconditional love for the first time because they were sold or they were trafficked uh, a lot of times to help the family financially. So there was a condition there to what happened to them. Uh, so, so let's get let's, into that a little bit yeah. because I want you, I don't know if we're allowed to mention what city it is that you guys are in, but, but it's a major um, SEX tourism destination and maybe we, we have should, to spell it because we don't want to get we will um, get throttled, throttled by yeah. youtube so okay <laughs> um so people would affluent people would come there from what i understand fly to this particular city as a mm -hmm. tourist destination yeah and engage in a practice of buying and selling mm -hmm. so maybe you could paint the picture for us of what this city was like before AIM came in. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, we can mention the city. It's, it's uh, Svaypak, S-V-A-Y-P-A-K. Uh, it's a suburb of the capital city, Phnom Penh. And it was the epicenter for uh, child 
uh, human trafficking. Um, pedophiles from all over the world would travel to Swipok uh, to engage with, with young children. Children were openly bought and sold on the street. And this was documented uh, by the CNN Freedom Project every day in Cambodia. You can Google that and look at that. They do a story on what was happening and, and, and the work of AIM there. Uh, ABC uh, Nightline did a feature as well. There's been other documentaries, Nefarious and others that document this. This city was notorious. The streets were notorious. Um, and so AIM moved in. We planted a church. We started humanitarian outreach to families. And that city now has been transformed. Well, so I think... I think it's important for people to understand, like, it, I think it's going to be new for some people that mm -hmm. that kind of tourism is a thing. Yes. Yeah. And go ahead. go ahead. No, I was just going to say, um, I think Cambodia has has a, an extremely heightened, um, you know, problem with with child to human trafficking. But this is this is happening in many places around the world. And, um, you know, I love the approach of we went in and we built a church, you know, we went in and we do this and, and we, we rescue them out of it. Yeah. So maybe talk to us a little bit about the cultural factors that went into, like, what is the mindset of a parent who will traffic their child? Like paint that picture for us. Culturally, because I think our intuition immediately, our presupposition is, oh, that's gross. That what kind of parent does that? But we right. have to understand that this is a worldview issue and they have certain beliefs that they, they are uh, bringing to it. So paint us that picture a little bit more. Yeah. So it, it comes out of uh, the sin nature. Uh, it comes out of uh, extreme poverty and a lack of human value. So in Cambodia, there is a saying that men are gold and women are cloth. So uh, men are more valued. And what happens uh, if a woman is cloth, what happens when that cloth is soiled or dirtied or tattered? You, you simply just throw it away. And that's the, the view in their culture. It also goes back to a historical perspective of the Khmer Rouge communist regime, which decimated the country of Cambodia in the late 70s killed over 3 million people. If you were religious, educated, you wore glasses, you were seen as a threat to the Khmer Rouge, they killed you. And towards the end, they were training up children as child soldiers to go after their parents. And those children are now the adults of today. So imagine growing up in a country where there's no morals, there's no values, there's a vacuum, and you find yourself uh, in a desperate financial situation uh, you've got five kids and a trafficker comes to you and says, hey, if you would sell me one of your children, I'll provide you food or I'll give you money or whatever. They, in some cases, in some ways, they don't know any better. Now we're changing that. We're, we're helping to reset the morals and values along with the other great organizations in the country. Um, but it really was a deterioration of society, the breakdown of society where human life wasn't valued. And so it became common for parents to sell their children. Now, I have done work locally here with um, children who have been trafficked. Mm -hmm. And one of the, the things that I, I saw immediately was that children wanted to get back out to work because they were afraid for their families. They were afraid, you know, like mm -hmm. that their their Johns would come and like harm their families or that families fathers, you know, or, or mothers would be upset that they were no longer working 
And so they would be in trouble. Are you experiencing or have you experienced those kind of things from either, you know, children who are now afraid that they're going to be in trouble for not working or parents who are like, hey, you know, my child can't stay here because they need to work? We do. It's not as as severe as you would find here. There isn't that attachment to the Johns. Uh, the, the conditions that these girls are put in are just so harsh and severe that they're so they're so grateful and so joyful to get out. Um, and we do our best to restore these girls to their families. If it's safe, it's if it's healthy, many times it's not. They found a new family. They found a safe place to live. But one of the keys to this is that third part of our holistic model. We've got rescue, restoration, and reintegration. When the girls are old enough, we provide jobs for them. Making clothing, which some of which is behind me. I'll share more about that later. But we provide, we connect them to businesses, uh, like-minded businesses that provide jobs for them. That really is the key because we found that when we can provide a job, there's a 99% success rate that they will not go back into the life when there's a job attached to that. So from the very beginning, when they enter our restoration home, when they're old enough, we begin to talk about their future. We have actually have a mini vocational training center in our restoration home so that they can begin to think about their future, but also so they can be equipped with skills to enter into the workforce because then the chances are that they're not going to be trafficked again. Now, we know that many of these girls will, in fact, send money back to their families. That's part of their Cambodian culture is a sense of loyalty. So part of them, even though they were trafficked by their parents, will still feel that family connection, that sense of duty. And we'll be able to send money back to their families. I think that's interesting because, um, as we know from Scripture, work is a part of the created order. It's the way that God's designed us. It's, it's part of classically what we call in theology, part of being created in the image of God is working and yeah. finding dignity in work. And so it's fascinating to me that such an important part of your model that really does help lift them out of their situation and keep them out of it is the work component because I'm imagining now you've given them a, a, a reason and a purpose to um, move forward and they can kind of have a more optimistic vision for their life. Um, is that, is that kind of what you find? Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's part of the identity. You guys talked about that earlier. Our identity is so important. First, we do our best to instill a new identity in them. Their identity is in Christ. We talk to them about the King of Kings that loves them so much that he went in and rescued them and pulled them out of the situation that they were in and that he wants them to have a new identity first in them, but then a purpose to provide for the economy, to provide for their families, to have a job. And that work becomes a part of their, their new identity. Not that they get wrapped up in that, but that becomes a part of them being productive giving back to society, but also in some cases, giving back to those families. So yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. And then I think that it's, it's interesting to me because one of my friends told me that part of your ministry is also ministering to the, the Johns and the, the pimps too, that, Mm -hmm. that it really, when you say holistic, you really mean everybody involved. And I like that because that is, the Judeo-Christian vision of justice mm-hmm. is that everybody needs redemption. We don't just rescue girls and then throw away these other human persons. They're not trash. They all, God also has an invitation 
for them to come into a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So could you talk to us about that? Yeah, so you're absolutely right. In addition to our holistic model, um, we do also have a holistic view of society. So we care not only about the girls that we're rescuing, the families that are trafficking them. We want to see them whole and restored and, and come to know the saving grace of Christ but also the traffickers themselves. We have a ministry called the Lord's Gym. Uh, ESPN was recently there filming, doing a a filming, uh, they're creating a documentary around this, Um, but it's called the Lord's Gym and it's an outreach to traffickers uh, where guys can come and work out. They can do, they can learn kickboxing from a nationally renowned coach. Number of these kickboxers have gone on to become national champions in, in Cambodia. Um, but they can learn about the gospel while they're there. Part of their, their, their getting a free workout is that they get to sit through a, a devotional. Uh, they get to hear about God, God's love. They also get to hear about uh, what, what's happening in their country, trafficking, why it's, it's, um, why it's such a bad thing. It's not a shame. We're not trying to put shame on these guys, but we're just helping them see the big picture. Many of these guys have become believers and are now witnessing into the trafficking community. How else do you reach the trafficking community, but else converted traffickers? Mm-hmm. That's, so good. That, that is a good one. Yeah. But, yeah. Because I think that, you know, they have a specific insight and, and knowledge into this world. Yeah. And I think it's so important to remember that as being created in God's image, they also have spiritual needs. They also yes. are are being pursued by a God who loves them. And I think many times, and I know I've been guilty of this, like when I'm working with, with a child who has been trafficked, you know, I could care less about her pimp. Like, no, we're, we're not, we're not having that conversation today. And I think it's such an, an eye opener and a heart check to say, yes, we care about you, that you being in a, a system of trafficking is not okay. And God is also very passionate and in pursuit of the one who would traffic you. Yeah. What what difference do you see that the gospel makes in people's lives? Like I can imagine rescuing them is a is a big step forward, but that obviously is the first step to what you hope will be a a, a longer journey with that yeah. person. So maybe talk to us a little bit about what what the gospel, you know, how that when that comes in, like, what difference does that make? How is that an added piece to the, to the ministry? Well, the gospel is, is absolutely integral to everything that we do. Um, it's in our name, Agape International Mission. So showing that agape love, that unconditional love to everyone, um, not judging anyone because of, of their story, because of what's happened to them, uh, giving them that new value in Christ, uh, serving them, loving them, you know, just as Jesus washed the disciples' feet, he was instilling value. He was instilling dignity into the disciples by doing that, humbling himself. And so that's our model as well, is to walk humbly uh, with our God. You know, I love the verse in, in Micah 6, 8, to, uh, to do act ju- justly, to show mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. So justice is in there. Showing mercy is there, and then walking humbly with God, um, and and walking that out in everyday life. So even though we've you know we've achieved a lot in Cambodia, we've rescued over fifteen hundred girls, we've seen over ten thousand prevented from being trafficked, but we realize that's just the beginning. We're just getting started, um, and we walk this out humbly every day, 
uh, in the country with the leaders that are there that we work very closely with. Um, and I'll, I'll give you one example of that. So we, you'll see reports in the Cambodian news of, of rescue, of raids, of rescues, and never once or rarely will you see Ames name mentioned. It's always the anti-trafficking police. That's because when they get the credit, they get more credibility. They know it's us working with them behind the scenes, but they get the credit. They get you know more exposure. They also get more viability in the country. They can go to more areas, more different, different parts of the country. We're walking right alongside them. It gives us more access when we can actually walk humbly and not worry about taking credit for that in the national media. Mm, that's good. Now, you, when, when you say that, you know, you go in and like there's a SWAT team and all that, are there ramifications for traffickers? Like, do they, like, go, do to they go to prison or? Yeah. So in addition to the 1500 girls that we've rescued, we've been able to put 300 traffickers in prison. Um, so working within the legal system, uh, first, we do an investigation. We go, we get a court order to be able to do the raid. We're working right alongside the anti-trafficking police. We bust down the doors, we rescue the girls. And then we have a legal team that is attached to our SWAT team that works to not only work on the rights for the girls that have been rescued, but also to prosecute the traffickers. Mm. Yeah. So wow. and when you think back, and I know you weren't probably there in the very beginning, but when, when your founders have told you stories about what the city was like when they first came and what it's like now, what maybe you can paint the picture for us of what difference it makes to have a Christian worldview perspective. When the gospel comes in, what happened? What changed in this culture? Because you've, you've said, you know, that the, the government has noticed you guys, the, the media has noticed you guys, so they must be noticing something good. So what is it that, that they see? Yeah, so that's a, that's a great question. So as, as I mentioned earlier, SWIPOC was the epicenter for uh, human child trafficking. Um, kids were openly bought and sold on the streets. There were brothels, massage parlors, karaoke lounges lining the streets of SWIPOC. That is completely gone. It's completely wow. shut down. So where there once was all that activity, there's now a church, a school, employment centers where the survivors make the clothing. There's an outreach program to the members of the community. And the once dirty pothole fold streets of, of, of just dirt and mud, they've since been paved and, and kids are now rollerblading on that street. So imagine in our, our own streets, right? In, in our homes uh, where we live, it's safe for kids to rollerblade. That's a normal picture of, of, of what it's like to live in a, in, a, in a functioning, safe society. That's what SWIPOC looks like today. It's so safe that kids can now rollerblade at night on that street where before it wasn't safe at all. And so now the community is actually standing up. So there will be occasionally... Uh, a foreign pedophile that will find his way to SWIPOC didn't get the memo that SWIPOC has been shut down. And now the community members, not our staff, it used to be our staff escorting that individual out of the community. Now it's the community members that are escorting that individual out of the community and saying, you're not welcome here anymore. In fact, we had a team show up, a team of guys from this area, from one of our local church partners that were showing up to do a construction project uh, near to Spypok. And it was a group of middle-aged white men 
from America who normally that's the, the, the kind of guys that would show up to prey on these children. So they showed up at the airport. They're getting their taxis and, and their tuk-tuks to Swipok. And the tuk-tuk driver said, no, you can't go there. It's, it's closed. Hmm. When, when the, the word has reached the tuk-tuk drivers that you can't go there for that reason, you know that it's out there. You know that, that, the, that the, the word is out there. And, and these guys said, no, actually, we're going there to work with the organization that helped shut that down. And they told him what was going on. He said, oh, okay, well, then I can take you there. <laughs> so, yeah. Do you think that um, we're going to go to uh, questions here in a minute on the live stream, but I, I, there was one little thing I wanted to ask you about um, earlier is, do you think that the, there's any impact of because I, if I'm remembering right, Cambodia has a large Buddhist population. Um, do you think that kind of the caste system uh, that's part of Buddhism plays any role in the trafficking? Is is that part of it or not? You know, I don't think we've seen that as, okay. as much of the case of just that breakdown of society. Um, the, the Buddhism there that is, is moderate, I would say, okay. um, and that Christianity is small, but growing, uh, Christian churches are allowed to meet, uh, just as long as they don't have public demonstrations. Uh, so Christianity is allowed to exist and is beginning to really infiltrate society in, in a good way. Um, but no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't think that that, that has that much of a role in that in, in Cambodia. It, it could okay. in other places. Sure. Yeah. All right. All right. So yeah, I want you to. Uh, Melissa has a question. She wants to know about shutting down the customers. Like what did AIM do to try to reduce the the demand? How, how did you guys go about shutting that down? Yeah. So w- whenever we do a raid, uh, we do the, the rescue. That business has been shut down. Uh, the, uh, we're, we're prosecuting the, the, the traffickers and, in, and sometimes the owners of that business are complicit. Any of those have been shut down. In some cases, the traffickers, where maybe there was a, a brothel, a massage parlor, a karaoke lounge in the capital city, Phnom Penh, where there were 30 girls being held. When that gets shut down, in some cases, the traffickers scatter out to the countryside, and there may be six places with five girls. And so we are chasing them out into the countryside. We go out uh, with the anti-trafficking task force to shut those businesses down as well. Um, but also... We are working on the demand side because when you talk about demand, the demand really comes from not only the sin nature, but also from pornography. So what people don't realize is that the majority of pornography that is taking place today is girls that are trafficked. First of all, they're prostitutes, but second of all, most of them are trafficked by organized crime. That's certainly the case in Cambodia. And so we're working behind the scenes with the Cambodian government to shut down streaming sites that are emanating from Cambodia. And we're also working on the demand side on men's hearts. So we're reaching, we're doing reach, reach out to men through local churches to help them change their heart and understand that what they're viewing, what they're doing, what they're looking at is actually damaging to those girls and is part of the problem. That's a whole other conversation around uh, pornography and prostitution and demand, but we are working on that upstream. Very good. That's that's helpful. 
I was going to go to Laura Harley's yeah, question, no, no, but no. He, she just typed in. Oh. He just answered my he, question. He just answered. Okay. <laughs> yes. Yeah. There we go. See, the answer, the question was answered before we even got to That's it. That's right. Yes. So, all right, all right go ahead. I was just going to ask, and I think you've hit on it, but what would you say are the impacts in the surrounding culture? One of the things that I'm hearing, and you can just, you know, tell me if I'm wrong, is that there's a capitalist mindset in, in like when people work, then other things are created and other things are stopped, yeah. you know? And so I think this is something that we get pushback on sometimes is, oh, capitalism, you it's know, so bad. It is so bad. You, or that's what people would say is that it yeah. is so bad. Um, I remember when I used to think that. <laughs> womp, womp. Don't judge me. Don't but judge me. but I think that the point here is that, you know, the this is a we're kind of transitioning into a practical way that people can help support yes. what you're doing there with AIM. So tell us a little bit more about the 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 angle of, of the business and and what people can do to, if they want, if the Holy Spirit is moving in their heart to help partner with you guys, you know, what that uh, might look like. Yeah, exactly. So we are replacing the economy. So um, traffickers, when they're selling, when they're selling children, uh, that is a perverted form of capitalism. It's, it's, it's selling humans for money. Right. Uh, that's capitalism, right? In a very perverted sense. We're replacing that. So we've completely replaced the economy of Swipok. Other businesses have moved, have moved in, uh, jewelry shops, uh, cafes. We create over 150 jobs through our employment centers uh, throughout Cambodia. We sell through a store, uh, a local retail store in Cambodia, as well as online uh, all over the, the world. So one way that people can help fight this issue with us is if you go on our, one of our websites is the aimshop.com, the aimshop.com. And you can see some of the products behind me that are made by survivors. So these girls that have been rescued, restored, and are now in our reintegration program, making items. Uh, and I, I love to show this. This is one of our other, uh, this is our freedom, our freedom t-shirt, but every item comes signed by the survivor that's made it. So it makes it super practical and tangible to understand that I'm actually, by purchasing this shirt, kimono, we've got flannels, we've got tote bags over here. Uh, we've got these brand new bracelets that are called Anthem. It's on our website as well. It says, for her freedom on the outside. And on the inside is inscribed the girl's name who's made it and her date of rescue. Mm -hmm. All of these products are providing jobs. All of these products are, are fueling the local economy. Um, and, uh, we are in the process of expanding our employment center as a response to COVID. So there have been some positive implications of COVID. Um, unfortunately, there's a lot of people without work in Cambodia right now because of, of COVID and the shutdown of tourism. There's a group of girls that we've been working with up in the Northern part of Cambodia, up in Siem Reap, which is a high tourist area. It's where the temples of Angkor Wat are a very famous area normally gets 400,000 tourists in a year. This year they've seen 4,000. And so um, there's a group of girls that we work with that work in bars and brothels. We do outreach to and we, we minister to them. And as we're able to provide jobs for them, we can, we can do that in our employment centers. And because of COVID, because we're not able to do physical events, pop-up shops where we would take these products into uh, churches or, or or other types of events, we've moved everything online 
and our online sales have just skyrocketed. So that gives us the confidence to know that not only can we initially employ these girls from some m m funds that we were able to raise, but we can continue to sustain their jobs through online sales of products like the AIM shop. And also one other way I want to mention really quickly. Well, I want to make is, sure I'm going to put the website up again because I want to make yeah, sure people see it. So it's the AIM shop. Bob's going to put, put it up there. Dot com. Com. Mm -hmm. And... People can support it. Monique's already looking I at that. On these kimonos, y'all. I'm not even playing. <laughs> uh, I am not playing. She really wants the Freedom T-shirt. So yes, I'm going to yeah. order that. I, I think uh, she she's already browsing over here to, to see what's up. But we want to, yeah. uh, this is a very tangible, practical way to help support yes. Yes. Um, the the ministry. So and people I mean, can check that we out. We get this question all the time. What can I what do? What can I do? What can I do yeah. to stand for justice? This is something you can do to stand for justice. And yeah. you can look cute while you stand it. <laughs> exactly. Like don't, you ain't gotta be ugly standing for yeah. justice. You ain't gotta be crusty. Get a kimono. Okay. Yes. And it's like, it, not, not that it's cheap, but it's not expensive. I'll say that. Right. Yeah. Like, this right. is a very reasonably priced um, article of clothing that you can purchase to help stand for justice, yeah. to help yeah. stand for and a it's, woman's a, it's like a direct thing. It's dignity. not. It's not some nebulous thing right. out yeah, there. It's, it's not out there. You know, it's, yeah, it's great. It's not that. I don't know where my money went. Jesus, said, we ain't seen nobody get off the street. No, no, we have we have receipts. Yeah, they, we have yeah. ten thousand interruptions. We have you know like we have three hundred people. Um, that have been arrested. We have mm -hmm. proof. You yeah. know what I mean? And so now we need people to stand behind them to continue the work. Yeah. And so when, you know, this is different than, than what some people say, if you need to do the work, you read the books. No, get out there and put your money to, to the table. This, this is the real work. This is the real deal. Yes. Okay. So then we got another, um, another entity to, to tell yeah. people about. So and, and, and really models. quick, I always tell people when, whenever they purchase these items and they get these tags with the girl's name on them, don't just toss this in the trash. Keep this as a reminder to pray for Simchenda, right? Mm. So that's the girl who made this. Remember to pray for her and the other girls in our employment center and the girls that we have yet to rescue. The other one I want to mention is aimcustom.org. So uh, we uh, provide a custom clothing for businesses, churches. We've got businesses and churches all over the world that order their t-shirts, their polo shirts, their long sleeve construction work shirts through us. Mm. Uh, it also provides jobs. Uh, we've got a quick video that we want to show, which tells the story of one of the survivors that works in our employment center making these custom items. Awesome. Um, yeah. We're going to, we got that video. So Bob's going to roll it for us here. អញ្ញុំធ្វើកាលនៅទីនេះចិត្តប្រំពលឆ្នាំមួយពេលដែលញុំមកធ្វើកាលនៅទីនេះជីវិតញុំគឺផ្លាស់ប្ដូរផ្
So every order placed through AIM Custom, essentially, you are rescuing and restoring a girl or a woman. So with your purchase, please help us rescue and free these women. That's fantastic. Thank yes. you for sharing that with us. Okay, let me get off the. the yeah, how much have you ordered so far? Order my <laughs> Sorry, don't mind me. Don't mind. Why me. are we selling out of kimonos all of a sudden? <laughs> I know. Oh, I love me a kimono. I can't lie. I really do. No, I really. Oh, and when they're long, oh yes, <laughs> yes. And well, this, this has been a, a a great discussion. I want to. We haven't shown your main website yet, so I want to make sure to to do that. Uh, Bob's going to pull that up here, the main website. And while he's doing that, I'll just mention another very practical way, obviously, that people can get involved is through uh, supporting our work. We know that it costs $1,000 to rescue a girl out of, out of human trafficking. Sorry, I almost said the S word. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Uh, from the time that we investigate to the rescue to the legal follow-up, that costs us about $1,000 per survivor. Um, and so that, you know, that's very tangible amount can go to rescue a girl. So like um, a church group, a small group, a Bible study group could pool their money for a thousand dollars and they could sponsor a, a rescue of somebody. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. We see that all the time. Youth groups, college groups, women's groups, uh, many of our church partners will rally around that and other causes. Uh, one of the last, uh, just to uh, quickly mentioned the fourth pillar of our holistic model. We've got rescue, restoration, reintegration. We also have a huge focus on prevention. So we have a school in Swipok that educates 500 children. Uh, we have the church, which we planted there in Swipok, which began the transformation of that community. We do kids club outreach to children that are at risk or that are being trafficked currently. Um, and we also um, have humanitarian response, uh, which has been a big part of our COVID response right now, mm -hmm. providing humanitarian relief to families that are in need because they don't have jobs because the tourism has, has completely shut down. So we want to encourage people to go check that out. Check it out. Yeah, I, I was just doing the math. <laughs> I'm like, you know, that's 50 people giving 20 bucks, right? Yeah. That, that, yeah. That's like a thousand bucks. Well, Y'all can do this. Or twenty people giving or twenty 50 people giving fifty bucks. Fifty dollars. Yes, I like it that way around. Yeah, twenty people give fifty bucks. You know what I mean? Like that. That is that's a Sunday school class. That's a a, a youth group. Yeah. You know that that's something really tangible. And then you yeah. say hey, we were responsible for this, and then it's not like you said nebulous or yeah. you know it's not just out there. We hope no. Yeah. So I saw on your website that AIM is coming to Belize, Belize. or, or uh, yeah. Brazil, Brazil, Belize, Belize. Belize. Okay. Yeah. So what's, yeah. what is, is that a, a kind of another couple kind of has a vision to, mm -hmm. to, to bring it to another country, bring that model? Exactly. Yeah. We, we've discovered that there's a, there's a huge human trafficking issue in Belize. It's a stopping off point in some cases, but American tourism in particular, cruise ship traffic is fueling uh, trafficking down there uh, with, with young girls. And we've got a couple that is, is called to go down there and be a part of the launch of our ministry there. We're working with a number of other organizations in country. 
Our goal will be to build out that holistic model that we have in Cambodia, but we'll start with a restoration home. We've identified 24 girls that have even either gotten out or can get out. They just need a safe place to go. And so that's going to be our first step. Um, we're hoping that the couple can get into the country once the COVID restrictions start to loosen up this fall and begin to plant that sort of grassroots work and then open up a new restoration home in Belize, uh, hopefully next year. Very wow. good. That's I'm awesome. super excited to bring our listeners uh, information about your ministry. Mm-hmm. And it just it fits so beautifully with the ethos that Monique and I have been trying to Pull forward. It's it's a beautiful, tangible, practical example. Hands on. Hands on of what of what we've been talking about. So thank you so much for coming yes. and talking to us. Uh, once again, I want to give the website is the aim uh, shop. Well, that's the, agape, one uh, that's the one Monique wants. Agapewebsite.org. <laughs> and yes. people can get connected there, find out how they can support the ministry if if the Lord uh moves them that way. But we get letters every day mm-hmm. from people that are like, what can we do to stand for justice in mm-hmm. a biblically faithful way? And so this, this is, is it. it. This is a great example of some things to look for. Mm-hmm. Hopefully we've educated people yeah. on what to look for in a, a really solid gospel centered justice ministry. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much for all your work and just taking the time to come be with us and educate us, Matt. Thank you both so much. I really appreciate what you guys are doing and trying to, integrate this this issue of, of theology and justice and um, how important it is to keep those balanced. Uh, love that and appreciate you guys. And it's an honor to be a part of this. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. All right. Thank you so much. Okay. Well, that was fantastic. That was. That was good. That was good. That, that was such an encouragement. Someone, I think it was Allison who um, who wrote in the, the comments that this was a really hard topic. Yeah. It is. Yeah. It's so needed. Yeah. You know, it, it's so needed. How do we, you know, stand really with the least of these? How I mean, do we stand with, to me, that's a form of oppression. Yeah. You know, how do we stand? That's a real form of oppression. With, with, yeah, with yeah. an oppressed people. I mean, when um, people are always quoting to us, writing to us, Isaiah 61, freeing the captives and uh, being on the side of the oppressed. Getting into the definition of that. Here is the picture of mm-hmm. how to do that in a really biblically faithful way. You know, another friend who is doing this too is our friends, our friend Brian Crane yeah, at the Brian Orange County Rescue, rescue Mission. Mission. They just started a human trafficking kind of rescue and reintegration program. Yes. And they are doing some great work here locally. So if you're looking to help partner with another ministry that's doing something similar, you're in Southern California. Um, they're doing amazing work, um, bringing, working with the sheriff's department. Those girls get rescued. Where do we take them? Mm -hmm. The Orange County Rescue Mission is a wonderful gospel focused ministry. Yes. I'm looking forward to, you know, finding and partnering with more ministries that are doing things, you know, locally and abroad to really um, give us a tangible look at what does justice from a biblical perspective mean and how do we walk that out? I think that, you know, there are people doing, you know, the hands-on work and then there are those who will support them while they do the hands-on work. We need both. And so I'm excited to be able to present that to all of you and, you know, to get acquainted with these resources myself. Yeah. 
So, you know, when we think about Isaiah 61, that was definitely a prophecy that applied to Jesus directly. And we live that out as his people, as his hands and feet. So this is a great, a great way of doing this. Um, Ooh, oh, Jessica said, love the kimonos. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. And Jessica, we just gonna take a little break. I have not forgotten. I will be calling you this week, Jessica. Okay. Just had to get that out there. Because I couldn't, you know, send an email right now. But if you want me to call you, you know, I can call you too. I'm not, just, no favoritism, people. No favoritism. I think we should play the call that you got earlier today. <laughs> no, we are not going to play the call that I received earlier this, it was earlier today. I was going to yeah. say earlier. No, it was earlier today. Um, I, I, I do want to call back, but I am not that saved yet. So <laughs> hopefully seminary will, will work some kinks out. That's right. You know, work, work out some some things that are in my heart. But when he when he opened the door to, to, to cuss words, I, he said, what? Y'all, y'all, the Lord had to snatch me back. Yes. yes All right. Yes. Our friend Alicia, Alicia says um, this opens my eyes to the idea that the issues we are wrestling with here in the U.S., could be the enemy's means of consuming our minds and attention and diverting it from the justice needed elsewhere. Mm. That right there. Oh, she gonna fan you. Wait a minute. Hold on. Oh, yes. Yes. Now, I, I didn't told you about that prissy fanning. We don't we don't fan prissy. Go ahead. You had fan her. Yes. Yes. <laughs> you guys, we are going we we're just gonna have some lessons in fanning. Although somebody put a gif up on the CFBU Facebook page oh. and was like, they were like, we, I got a fan you. And it was a fan. It was like one of their motorized fans. <laughs> that thing took me out. I was like, no. But yes, that was so good. And also, thank you everyone who, um, well, thank you, first of all, for putting up that I was going to be starting seminary and asking people to send me encouragement. I was nervous for real, y'all. I was like, this is a Zoom meeting. Why am I so nervous? <laughs> but, um, yeah, I was so nervous. And people commented. There were almost 200 comments and like over 800 likes. And I was just, I think it's like over 800, close to 800, something like yeah. that. And I was just like, oh my goodness. Yeah. You know, thank you so much for the support. I felt the love. I was like, the family has come through. Everybody just standing with me. So I was super thankful for yeah. that. The first day of school was good. Well, that's, that's it, it for this week. That Folks, is it. Pray for pray for us. We always seem to have one big week out. <laughs> Another. One big week after another. <laughs> but we thank you for uh, all your support and your kind wishes. And what do you have to say? Next week, we are doing what's oh, yeah. called an AMA. Ask me anything. Ask me anything except for my age. I'm going to put it out there. <laughs> um, so get your questions ready. Come ready. We are open to discussing, sorry, all the things. Um, and so, yeah, we are going, that's what we're going to do. We try to do one, like what, once a quarter or something, something like, that. like that. Yeah. So we will be doing Where the that. viewers produce the show. Yeah. And yes. all the mayhem and foolishness <laughs> yes. ensues as they ask us questions. They ask us, yes, you can ask us all kinds of things. What's your favorite ice cream? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause that's where my mind is right now <laughs> on ice cream. Oh, somebody did ask about my hair. Who was it? Allison. 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 I think Allison asked about my hair. Yes. Um, I did take the braids down. I want them so bad. I miss them. I miss, like, I love not having to comb my hair. Like, it's just a thing. Um, but yes, I think she asked, is this my natural hair? Yes. It's just pulled up um, into a, into a, but she's not touching it. Yeah. No. After that discussion with Neil last week. (laughs) No, please don't touch my hair. Thank you. Um, and so, yeah, I, this is just my natural hair. I, 
don't straighten it usually. I don't yeah. put any heat on it. I think um, you've only straightened it once. I've straightened it once since, since I've been, been here. here. Yeah. yeah, but no, I just, this is it. This is the natural. It, yes. Hey, I know what we can talk about for a couple minutes. Oh, goodness. Here we go, folks. What are we going to talk about? Let's talk about colorblindness. Oh, okay. Because we've had these conversations before. Sure. And I'm have been go. still highly confused. Here we go. Here we go. Here I go. But I don't, never mind. Y'all don't even know that song. But if you do, sorry. <laughs> Every week you got to have a song. All right. Go ahead. So let's talk about colorblindness for a minute. Mm-hmm. So what do you mean by what? Colorblindness? Okay. Yeah. So when you first came, uh-huh. people would sometimes say to you, I don't see color. And drive me crazy. Drive me crazy. Yeah. And so you and I had some very confusing conversations. We've had a couple of these on the show where we've tried to explain colorblindness and, you know, what you don't like about this idea. So today we're talking about it and you, you finally understood. It only took me two years, people. Two years. But she finally understood what I was saying about colorblindness today. So this, this could be helpful to people. I, my theory is that many white people, and people can chime in on the chat, Many white Can all people chime in on this? Yeah, everybody can chime in. My theory is that many white people, what they mean when they say they don't see color is they're referring to, they're kind of making an oblique reference to the Martin Luther King speech. Mm -hmm. The famous line about him, his desire that his children be judged according to their- Not by the color of their skin, but by the content of of their their character. character. Yeah. And that that is what many white people think of when they use the term, I when they say that I'm colorblind. Mm-hmm. And that they're saying, I don't judge people according to their ethnicity. When I see you, I want to judge you according to your character, how you treat me, how you treat other people. So in that sense, I am colorblind. I am trying to see you as a fellow human, not as a black person first. And I judge you. I apply the same standard of judgment toward you as I would apply toward anybody else. Are you a kind person? Are you an honest person? That sort of thing. But that is not what your understanding (laughs) of colorblindness is Mm -hmm. what I, what I've learned is that for you, when people would say that, that they're colorblind, you would hear it as they're sort of erasing your ethnicity, that they're, they're not acknowledging that you're black and they would be kind of in this weird um, kind of denial of the physical reality. Well, how can you not see that I'm, I have brown skin. I have brown hair. My hair is different than yours. I'm a five foot nine black woman. Like, <laughs> you miss me. You can't miss me, yeah. y'all. And when I walk in, trust me, you know I'm here. Uh, and that's just. But that's, that's but what that's, you mean. Yes, that that's, is what I mean. It's like, because people will, will say, oh, I, I, didn't, I didn't even, you know, notice that you were black. And you're like, what, are you blind? Are you blind? Like, it's, to me, it's not a bad thing to notice. Like, I notice that you're white, and I think there are many things to appreciate about being white. Just like the same way I think there, that there are many things to appreciate about being black or Hispanic or 
any other ethnicity. Like, it's cool. You can be you and you can appreciate what comes with being you, you know? But I think what happens is I think, and you, you, we straighten this out a lot today, you know, that people get, white people get this idea that, you know, if I mention color, then I'm a racist. If I don't mention color, then I'm a racist. I don't really know what to do. There, there used to be this idea that being colorblind was noble. And now there's kind of been the trickaroo of like, wait a minute, colorblind? No, 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 no. Now that's a bad thing now. Well, because now if you go on these anti-racist conversations, they will tell you, they will list explicitly that colorblindness is a form of covert racism. And this has been so puzzling to me. And and you and I have had many conversations and we just keep talking past each other. And I so here's what I think is happening is that many white people have this definition, this this thought of being colorblind is noble. Because what I'm saying is, I don't judge you according to your skin color first. And I appreciate I, that. I judge you for your character. Mm-hmm. That's what we mean when we say colorblind. But for the the person of color, they're saying the color, the statement about colorblindness makes no sense it in, makes, the, in the physical realm. Mm-hmm. Of course, you, it's okay to notice my hair is different than yours. My skin color is just different. Just don't touch it. Yeah, just don't touch it. But then what happens is that that it's seen as covert racism because there's sort of this shell game that happens where we take these two words, the same word, but two different definitions. Kind of the, I think that what many white people believe about colorblindness and what people of color hear us say. And so then it's looked at as covert racism because we're erasing your ethnicity. And so then there's this, this kind of shell game that, that happens. I think it's, it's considered covert because yes, it can be considered like the erasing of our ethnicity, but then also, well, if I'm not my own ethnicity, what ethnicity do you then associate me with? What are, are you, are you now trying to bring me into what would, what some like social justice warriors or critical race theory people would call whiteness? Like, are you trying to bring me into that? Are you now saying that, you know, you're no different, you're no different than me. So why don't you come on over here and, and just do all the things that, that we do, you know, and believe the way that we believe and things like that. That I think is what's being put forward more than anything is, you know, you don't, you don't need to be like this. You can just be like me. But I don't think that that's what people are saying. My my beef and, and gripe was just, well, you know, hey, there's nothing really wrong with recognizing someone's ethnicity. There's nothing wrong with appreciating the way your hair is, the way your skin is. Like God has made you unique on purpose. He's been he's very intentional. And if we were created by an intentional God, why can't we celebrate that? And so for me, the term, and Jessica has a really good comment I want to go to, um, it's on Facebook. The The term saying, well, I'm just colorblind. I'm like, well, why can't, why, why do you have to be blind to it? Why can't we appreciate what God has created? And it, I'm, I'm not saying it has to be like a racist thing. I just think that you're not blind. Yeah, but it, when white people are now told that colorblindness is covert racism, it puts us in a position of like, okay, now I just don't want to comment on anything because the rules are just something that I can't understand. Like it's, it's very confusing. 
I think for many white people mm-hmm. of, well, I thought I was doing this noble thing by saying, I don't see color. Mm-hmm. But then I'm told when I say that it's racist. But I think that what's happening is there's two different definitions yes. in play. And that the the heart of the of many white people that use this phrase is not their intention is not to cancel the 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 person of color's ethnicity. It's just that there's two different definitions that are that are happening. So it's like ships in the night. They're just sort of crossing yeah, paths. I don't think that people now anyway. The Lord has done a work. Um, it I don't only think took that us people, two years to get here, folks. Stop it. I don't <laughs> think that people are trying to like cancel, you know, my ethnicity or things like that. But I you just used think, to. Well, yeah. <laughs> Those conversations. Folks. <laughs> folks, we might need to go to a commercial break. <laughs> um, but I... Right now, I just I'm at the place where I'm just like, you know, you're not blind. Like when when you walk into a room or when somebody else is a different ethnicity than me walks into a room, I'm just like, oh, they're this is that person. Like, I don't I don't I'm not caught up or like, oh, I have to make sure that I treat them differently or anything like that. But there's so many things I think we can appreciate about ethnicity. Sure. You know, so many things. But there's a sense in which we want to be colorblind in the more classical sense we do want to yeah don't shoot me because i'm black you know what i mean like like let's not don't don't treat me bad because i'm black like let's not or don't don't treat you bad because you're white yeah you know what i mean don't so that's actually is a noble idea that we would treat all people equally yeah yes and we can also appreciate our differences yes at the same time so but i i am hoping this is educating people on why this is such a confusing conversation because we have literally had like 10 discussions about this yeah and and they were rough Ooh. and some of them were rough Those were some and we didn't things. we couldn't figure out how to get on the same page and then like today it finally kind of happened hopefully this Listen is helping to, someone let me see oh we right. got we getting some comments hold on jessica said the phrase facebook. yeah on facebook on the cfbu one um I believe it's cfbu uh, that the, that phrase "I'm colorblind" frustrates me. Even though I know that there is no malicious intent behind it, I would rather hear, "I see how God created you, and I appreciate the color He made you and how He designed." But you. see, that's a comment about the physical appearance, which is not the same as what I think many white people mean by it, which is a comment about the person's character. Those are two different things. Yes. And I, I agree with you. I think that when people are saying I'm colorblind, uh-huh. they are giving reference to the content of care. I'm not going to judge you. Right. Based on your skin color. Right. I'm going to look at your character. Right. Yes. But I think because of just the word itself, it, it it's confusing. It, it gets confusing and it feels or not feels, but it sounds like, well, am I clear? This is why we have to define our terms. Am I clear? <laughs> You and I, like, yes. what are we talking about? All right. What's in, are there um, any other comments? So, uh, hold on. I'm trying to just go through them. Let's see. The pendulum has been swung. Yeah. And I, I'm still reading through some of them. Um, This is a short one. Let me see. The pendulum has swung. Makes it very hard for someone to decipher what is okay and what isn't. I think that's that's what you're what you're saying. Like that the pendulum has been swung and now it's 
it, it used to be being colorblind and now it's swung all the way over here to don't be colorblind and now you're I don't racist know if you're colorblind yes yeah. but we we throw that word out too a lot like oh, oh that person's that. just somebody racist. called me the woman in the purple hold on <laughs> let's see I don't know where it's you... right above the Rihanna's comment I feel like the woman I feel like the woman in the purple I just want to make a friend first I don't right away go to ethnicity or race maybe once I am a friend with the person then we can talk about traditions or people's heritage I agree the woman in the purple her name is Krista that's so funny (laughs) that's okay that's funny Cheryl um I think that no we don't just you know walk up to somebody hi my name is Monique I noticed that you're white I know you know? you're black. Yeah. Do you we don't prefer do black or African-American? I'm going to don't ask that in the first 10 seconds. You know, there's that. <laughs> I thought you were asking me and I was like, oh, really? On, you <laughs> no. know, publicly. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it. even though you don't get to it, in, you know, the first couple of times you meet or, you know, while you're still in that, yeah. you know, we're just acquaintances. Getting to I know still you. notice. Yeah. I'm not blind. You but, know what but, I mean? But I think the atmosphere has become so fearful like, seriously, mm-hmm. white people are terrified oftentimes of even commenting. Like, Allison was asking permission earlier. Can I comment about your hair? Can I notice something about Allison, your hair? Allison, you can do whatever you want to do. <laughs> but we are so nervous because we're like, okay, colorblindness is racism. I don't completely understand that. So I wonder what else is racist. Maybe I just won't talk about it. And then we wonder, why is racial, <laughs> why is racial unity so hard? Oh, my goodness. Okay, Carolyn, I like this one. Carolyn says, um, oh wait, I, ah, it just logged off the comment, sorry. I don't know how many, just missed it. Where is Carol? can you find Carolyn's comment? No, here it is. I don't know how many people this applies, but I also think that being colorblind or not mentioning race was something that white people did because they were nervous, unsure about how to treat the one black person in the room. I'm like, well, there's that. When, you, when you're in a whole room of people and, and then you got the one, one black person. I have been that one black person a lot of times. My, my whole time in undergrad, I was, I was the one in the room, you know? And so I think that that's a point. It's like, you know, we don't, we don't want to offend, you know, so we're just going to be colorblind. But still, you notice that that's the only one. So you're not colorblind. It just, but I do, I hear the point behind it. I do hear, and I didn't hear it for a long time. That's why I think today's conversation was pivotal um, for me anyway, because I was like, oh, this is what you're saying. This, like the, the, the motive and the heart behind it is really to say, well, we, we want to see your character first. We're not putting your ethnicity or your skin color above your character. And I think that is truly how we should be living out scripture. I'm not going to treat the rich better than I treat the poor. I'm not going to treat the black better than I treat the white or vice versa. But can you have an appreciation for the the reality of how difficult this is for white people that because we're attacked for colorblindness and we're told that it's racist, that it creates that it creates a situation inside of us where now we don't want to engage with people of color at all because we're just feel like now I don't know if I'm supposed to notice or not notice. Well, I don't know. I think that's a big statement. I don't know. That's what some people are saying on the chat that that's how they feel. And I I think 
I'm not the only one that feels that way because this is a big. I mean, to say this that, is a big part of why people select out of of the colorblind conversation no, or engaging uh, uh, with with uh, people of color in general because I think those are two very big. I think different it's a things. big factor in why white people do not initiate conversation with people of color. Mm. I think that this is a big factor in that. But I think then people also need to need to get into. Interesting. I think that people, people have other conversations going on. Like, you know, how do you love someone beyond terms? Like if you're going to run away from a a person, another image bearer, because you're afraid of a a conversation, we might need to have other, like other conversations. Like how do we, how do we, maybe we need to do a whole show on like how to engage with people of color. But you know, to me, I'm, I'm your sister. You know what I mean? I'm, I am a fellow image bearer. And so what are we as Christians allowing to stop us from having relationship with other people? If you're going to say, well, you know, I'm afraid to have relationship with a whole group of people. I think we need to have some hard conversations before we have other conversations. Well, I think, I think that's probably true. You know, I, I, but I think fear is a, is a big issue. I, and I'm not sure that you still have an appreciation for that. Well, I, I don't. I don't, actually, if I'm honest, because I think that there are many things that black people can say, well, I fear white people for sure. this. Sure. You know what I mean? So but to but what it sounds like is but that I feel like we need to have like some coaching on. This group of people can fear these issues. This group of people can fear these issues. And those fears can keep us from engaging Definitely. with each other. Because we haven't really named that. No, I, I think that I think that's true. That, each side can have their own fears, mm-hmm. but to say like, well, because you have done this, then we don't want to participate to me is to, I, I think each side can do that. Like you're saying, like I can say, well, white people have done this. Yeah. And so now I don't want to in- engage. I don't want to participate. And this is where we have to step outside and say, well, I'm going to go again. I'm going to give grace. I'm going to forgive. I'm going to be brave. Otherwise, unity, y'all ain't never going to happen. Like, let's just be clear and real. We like, can't, I can't, that- I can't blame. I can't blame the, the world's systems and structures, terms saying, well, this is racist or this isn't to, from allowing me to go and be in relationship with someone. Theoretically, I, I agree with you. But here's the, the world in which we live. And, and I, just because we receive these letters all the time, I think that what people, white, many white people are really afraid of is they are highly confused about, because we could call it this whole colorblindness conversation a form of microaggression. And mm-hmm. they're, they're like, I don't know the rules of engagement. Mm-hmm. I've been taught my whole life colorblindness is a noble thing. Yes. It's a noble idea. I should aspire. If I'm going to be a good person, I want to be a noble person. I want to aspire to be a colorblind person. Mm -hmm. Then along comes this kind of cultural engagement, critical theory, whatever you want to call it, that says, no, that's racist. So now I'm confused. I'm like, wait, this thing that I thought was noble is now being called wicked. Now I don't know the rules. I'm just going to kind of silently be like Homer Simpson and go back into the bushes. Well, I think and, a and couple and things. Th- so but this is this just pause for a minute and try to have some appreciation 
for the fear that this creates. Okay, so I'm gonna, I'm going, I, I'm pausing. Okay, it was a slow pause. It was, a, it was a quick <laughs> one, but I'm pausing. But at the same time, I can say, well, the media only shows me black people being killed. So can you appreciate the fear yeah. that I have of white people now? Yeah. I'm not going to engage with white people. I think you would push back on that and say, well, that's the media. Martin Luther King said... No, actually, said, I would say that makes sense to me. But then, but, okay, so if, if that makes sense, then how do we, <clears throat> how do we, at or at what point do we say, well, we're going to have to get past all of this? Yeah. I can have an appreciation for a white person's fear. I, that doesn't mean I condone it. That doesn't mean I don't, sure. I don't think that, you know, it's, it's a bit of like, well, grow up. Like, we're going to have to get past this conversation at some point. It, and, and that might sound mean and hard, but if we're going to be the church and we're going to talk about unity, I'm going to have to put something on the back burner. At some point, it's going to have to be my fear. It's going to have to be my pride. It's going to have to be my my right to be right. It's going to have to be a lot of things that I'm going to have to sit in order for me to extend myself towards someone else. And so, yes, I can hear that white people say, well, you know, they, they want me to be colorblind. They don't. Martin Luther King made that speech. And there were many black people who weren't in agreement with Martin Luther King. And so now people are taking his words, a part of his speech and saying, well, this is what I, this is what my, 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 you know, my whole thought process was built on I don't know how many black people actually were affirming what he was saying or how many other black people, white people have engaged with in this conversation. Did you just watch a speech on TV and now everybody in your family and in your school is telling you, hey, you should be like this. How many engage with people? We have to get past our fear, especially if we're going to be in the church. I can't come to church and be afraid to sit and talk to the person who's sitting next to me. Yet we go to the same congregation. I think, though, what do you think the obligation is? Because I can't control how other, another person's going to respond. It, let's say I'm in that risk. Let's say I'm in the risk of, okay, I'm going to have a risky conversation with somebody from a different ethnicity, and I'm going to try to ask a question, can you help me understand what your perception is of colorblindness. All right, we'll just use that as a topic. Mm-hmm. And now, and, is this person in culture or in the church? In the church. Okay. But I can't control how that other person is going to respond or come back to me. Mm-hmm. It seems to me that, that we need to have a conversation about flipping those roles because what is my obligation and what is your obligation in any conversation? Mm-hmm. It's to create a place of safety for the other person, I think. Mm-hmm. That what is my stand going to be? Yes. My stand is going to be not reactive, peaceful, allowing for mistakes, mm-hmm. grace-oriented. Um, even when people say stupid stuff. Humble. Humble. Compassionate. Yeah. Believing the best so about that's, people. That's my part of it. Mm-hmm. But I don't have any guarantee that if I go into the conversation with the other person, Mm -hmm. that they're going to have that stand. Yeah. And I think that that also creates fear is because, because your expectation is, it sounds like what you're arguing is, well, we just need to get past this and just be in the risk and 
be big enough and strong enough to get mowed over by the other person. I think that's a really hard sell because in this climate, for white people to be in that risk, we really take, we have to be willing to go all the way to being willing to be called racist, to be willing to be called a lot of ugly names and have our motivations question. And I can say the same thing for black people. Yeah. I think that it's the exact same. And this is why I'm saying we have to be in it together. If I am going to call you my sister, I need to be able to enter into that risk. There is a ton of risk for me being black, going to talk to someone who's white. They're going to see me as a victim. They're going to think I support Black Lives Matter. They're going to um, think that I have a gun. They're going to um, think that, it, you know, I just participate with everybody the, the way that you see it in the media. There's always a story from somebody depending on the lens that you're looking through. Okay. So if you're going to be looking through that lens, then sure, that's what you're going to that's what you're going to see. Now, I'm not saying that people should mow people over. Not at all. We need to be humble. We need to love. We need to believe the best about people. We need to enter into conversations with curiosity, humility, all of that. But I can't be afraid to go and have a conversation. Doesn't matter what your skin color is. We need to be willing to be in the risk. If I can get in a car every day, And go and drive down a busy freeway surrounded by people who I don't know are drunk, if they even have licenses. If I can be in the risk to put myself and passengers in my car in such danger, I should be able, with strangers, I should be able to go and sit and have a conversation with somebody in the pew next to me. And that, to me, that I just, I don't see it any other way. Like, I'm just like, yeah, this is a lot. This is big. This is a risk. But if we want the church to do something different and to be a, a body that has been different or that will be different and that will lead the charge for unity, I can't sit back and say, well, you know, they might think that I'm I'm just the black girl from the hood. And so they're not I'm, I probably shouldn't go over and talk to them because of X, Y and Z. Mm-hmm. And if you think that, well, you know, I might say something wrong, so I can't go over and talk to them. then We're, we're never going to have unity. We should hang it up. We're never going to have have that if as long as that's our stand. Our stand has to be something greater. Our stand to me has to be, yes, I'm going to be in the risk because I know that this is my sister. And if 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 the person in the church decides, well, you ain't nothing but a da, 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 then you need to have other conversations. Well, you know, I didn't mean to offend you, but I'm wondering, get curious, what, you know, what was that about? You know, maybe this person's a new believer. Maybe they're an old believer and y'all need to have a, a, a step up in, in conversation with leadership. Like, I'm not I'm, I'm not saying that these conversations won't be hard. I'm not saying that they won't be long. I'm not saying that, that you won't have to have them over and over again or that other people won't need to get involved. What I am saying is that as the church, we have to take a stand. And what are we going to what are we willing to risk and put out there to be in that stand to show the world that we really can do unity? Yeah, I think, yeah, it gives me some things to think about. I think then it's just, it's just a really, and, and maybe I'm just a a weak person. I mean, that's kind of what I'm feeling right now is that it's just, the struggle is hard and that it makes me feel like, wow, maybe, you know, I just have to evaluate myself that I'm just a weak person. 
I think we're yeah, all on some level weak people. Like we all have these fears. I yeah. think we all experience fear on different levels for different things. You know what I'm saying? I, I And I'm not saying that, or I'm not even trying to negate your fear by saying your fear isn't real. I'm saying that we have to, we can acknowledge the fear yeah. and keep going. We don't yeah. want to get stopped by the fear. Yeah, no, I hear what you're saying is, is the, the point of what you're saying is to push through it, not to, not to allow it to stop us, you know, but if we're going to stand for unity, we're going to have to be willing to have some hard conversations, but we also have to understand like, what stand do I want to make? What's my commitment? What's the other person's commitment? Cause, cause trying again, going again does take a level of commitment. So many people opt out. Mm-hmm. They, they don't, they're not committed. Mm-hmm. They're not committed to the relationship. Yeah. So, and I think that that's something that um, between you and I has been, I feel like tried and true. Like we have tested this relationship. We have been in risk and hard conversation and hard conversation again and again and again. And yet we continue to push through and persevere where you go. I go. That's, that's our little, our little saying, you know, because of what we believe will will happen as we do that. I don't think that the Center for Biblical Unity could be a thing if we hadn't had to test out, is this true? Can this actually happen? And it can, you know? So I, I, I honestly think that what what we put forward, even in this conversation, as hard as this conversation can be, you know, the goal is, well, we don't give up. We continue to talk and, and work sure. it out and work it through and ask questions and keep going. Yeah. Here, there's there's tons of comments. You want to check Facebook? Or I was trying to, but... Do you want to check Facebook or YouTube? I can't seem to navigate there properly. Here, so let me tell see. me... Uh, I don't know. People might be bored with this conversation. So. Um, Rihanna says, this is where the body of believers has to bear. Yes. Um, we But we are supposed to be a peculiar people in His grace... We should be able to have these hard conversations. Paul, Peter, Timothy, James, they had to have so many hard conversations regarding where the saints were missing the mark. We will be the great example for the rest of the world if we do. Amen. I I agree with that. Um, Denise says, Krista, I feel your struggle. I've stepped into trying to understand from someone at church and got totally shut down and actually felt angered. So I understand where you're coming from. Totally off guard in, totally off guard. What in the world did I do when I was coming from care and compassion? I suddenly was the enemy because I'm white. And Denise, I'm so sorry that that happened. You know, like that isn't the goal. As Christians, we have to be willing to be better. We have to be willing to do what and put aside, I feel like, the world standards and participate with one another from a different, a different angle. Like it's like Paul says, you know, if, if you found um, like anything beneficial in the faith, you know, keep the unity, preserve the unity, be kind, caring, compassionate, be humble. You know, these are, this is the way that we, we preserve the unity that we've been given. But that's not happening in the church. It's not happening in the church. And this is why I'm calling people. I'm, I'm hoping people can hear to do something different. And it doesn't matter what your skin color is, whether your skin is white or black, do something different. Dare to be the different one. You know, the guy who called me and told me I was just talking BS and trying to to appease white people. 
one, one, I think you have a point. Like there was a rock put in his shoe, but it's because I'm daring to do something different. I'm not going to keep going with the tribal rhetoric. Yeah. Well, the tribal rhetoric hasn't gotten us to unity. We we need a different, we need a different approach. Exactly. So. Um, is there anything on YouTube, on the tube of the U? I don't think so. Closest fan, closest to a fan, Laura. I can't say, oh, I don't, there's a lot of comments. Um, I'm not, I'm not colorblind, this is Aaron. I'm not colorblind and I'm not afraid to engage anyone, not even in today's hypersensitive climate. Someone likes me and accepts me or they don't. Mm, see, it is a, it. If it is about skin color, not my issue. I hear you. Um, yes, very different among believers. As children of God, we must remember our identity in Christ um, when we have conversations. YouTube needs a fan emoji. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. I need a gift. I want to create a gift where I'm just like fanning somebody. Just yes. And then when you say something, I can just be like, yes, just yes. Um, All right, I think that's Kristen a wrap and Monique's tonight. perspective are both valid shows that grace abounds. Great example, even hearing them right now. Yeah, that was YouTube. Thanks. Y'all, these conversations are not easy, but they need to be had. And we want to make sure that we can demonstrate having them. Um, I am not always the gracious of, of people to have conversations with because I, I get kind of firm in my own beliefs and opinions. Um but I think the bottom line is that as Christians, we have to be willing to go again. We have to be willing to have grace with people. We have to be willing to be humble. That That's something I'm going to pray on my own heart for. Um, you know, and understand where repentance, real repentance and forgiveness play huge parts. And I'm not talking about, you know, black forgiveness and white repentance and all that, the way that that's being put forward right now. I'm, I'm talking about the real true Christian definition of repentance of, um, of asking for forgiveness from your brother or sister, from turning away from heart attitudes that, that aren't um, kingdom minded and going again, you know, extending grace and forgiveness. So it's time to wrap it up. All right. Well, thank you. We hope you've enjoyed the show tonight and we will see you next week for the ask me anything. Ask us anything except for my age. We'll see you Bye, y'all. Thanks for listening to All The Things. Be sure to subscribe to our website at allthethingsshow.com and find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, or wherever you stream your podcast. Be sure to hit that subscribe button and the bell so you'll receive alerts when we post new shows. We'll see you next week.